flip over to Acts 19 as kind of our starting point. It's kind of motivated this little uh, three or four week detour talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've talked uh, last week uh, in great detail, kind of even took a pause on the pause, as it were, and uh, talked about the motivation uh, of using spiritual gifts. And Really went through, uh, spent a lot of time in Peter and other places in second service. We ventured into uh, 1 Corinthians. But really just to make the point, the idea, which I think is the, the greater point of the New Testament, that may be debatable, but that is the, the simple concept of love. And if you recall in Corinth, Paul writes to them and, and they're in the beginning of the letter. It's a very corrective letter. In fact, he, he even notes that he's writing a collective, uh, corrective letter because he says, I've heard from the household of Chloe that these things are going on in your church. And so he writes to them to say, hey, you know, let me help you and, and, and give you God's perspective on some of the things that are going on. And there were really radical things that were going on there. They were tolerated uh, quite a bit of sin. It wasn't a big deal. People getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. People in the church suing each other in the, in the Roman courts. And you know, all this kind of... Uh, well, Paul calls it, he labels it, he says it's carnal, it's of the flesh, it's of the old nature. And he, and, but the, the fascinating thing to me anyway, in, in the, the letter to the Corinthians, even though there's all this kind of radical sin that's going on there, maybe not radical, but open and accepted and just kind of like, well, yeah, we sue each other, this is kind of how things work. Um, with all that that's going on, in the beginning, he has this incredibly encouraging things to say to them. And he says, I know that Jesus is going to work in you and he's got you sealed and he's doing this great thing among you. And to me, it's just a fantastic perspective. Uh, and this is a bit of a side note, just, just how we look at God's people, how we look at the dysfunction in different churches and things like that, to realize that, that God loves dysfunctional people and that he loves dysfunctional churches. He doesn't love the sin in the church, but he wants the best for a dysfunctional church. And I'm sure every church is dysfunctional on, on some level. I've never been to all of them, so I can't make that assertion completely, but I figure if there's people at them, then there's probably problems. So then uh, after that, he says something very interesting. He says, you guys have every spiritual gifting. You have an abundance of spiritual gifting there in Corinth. And so one of the things that was happening in Corinth, it wasn't a lack of spiritual gifting. It was that people were beginning to use their spiritual gifts in a way that was selfish. And, and each heart would be accountable before God for, for how they're using their spiritual giftings. But his point is, as carnal people that are involved in all these other selfish activities, suing and these different things, making sure that you get yours, there were rich people who would bring food to a, a what we would call a potluck, and then they would just kind of eat it in front of poor people, and the poor people would be shamed, and like all these different things that are, that are happening there. And, and so that same attitude, if that's our attitude, if it's mine and me, and how do I provide for me and how do I make sure I'm taken care of, then that will and could have the propensity to bleed over into our spiritual giftings and to begin to use them for our own benefit or something like that. And really, last week just focused in on the fact that out of 1 Peter chapter 4, again, a favorite verse of mine where, where Peter says, hey, the end is at hand, make sure you're praying and you have a sober mind, you're thinking through, thinking logically, evaluating what's going on in life, you know, these things. But then he says, above all, make sure that you, you love one another. And really the way the wording is there is it's a kind of the present active, the present perfect. Make sure you continue to keep loving each other fervently. Meaning that there's effort in that. And we define love as we often do here as agape, that moral love, that goodwill towards one another, desiring the best. 
maybe not the ooey-gooey emotional love, although that may come, but really just the idea that I can look at a person in my church or in my community and say, I want the best for you. And that ultimately, that's the avenue by which spiritual giftings are supposed to be used. Always in love for one another. Always in building up one another. It's interesting whether there's like four or five lists or instances where kind of spiritual giftings or manifestations are laid out in the scriptures. Every one of them is linked with love. You have kind of the mega one, right, where he talks about tongues and prophecy and all that. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. It's worth noting that right in the middle of those two chapters, 12 is all about all the manifestations of the Spirit. Or not all, but it's not a, an exhaustive list, but the, the majority of what we have listed and how we're one body and we're here to minister to each other and these kind of these different things about the giftings. And then, boom, he says in the last phrase of chapter 12, after all the spiritual gifts, he says this, still, I'll show you a better way. And then that's 1 Corinthians 13, right, the marriage chapter. But it's not the marriage chapter. It's a good one for marriage. It's the gifts chapter. It's the interaction chapter. It's how do we go to church chapter. It's how do we evaluate our lives and how we contribute chapter. And he says, this is what love is like. This is what love does. And then he comes back in chapter 14 because there was, in Corinth, there was this uh, kind of aspect going on where people were using specifically uh, uh, the gift of tongues to draw attention to themselves. And Paul says, hey, here's, here's how you would publicly lift, uh, uh, use the gift of tongues. Here, here's how it's appropriate. Here's how, uh, you know, privately, and here's how unbelievers are going to see it, and believers will see it. And here's these, you know, all these different things about that specific gift. But right in the middle is love. In Ephesians chapter 4, we'll, we'll go there today, three times he says, in love. It's in verse 2, I think verse 14 and 15. In love, in love. All, all, this, all the time, this idea that the body builds itself up in love. When you get to Romans chapter 12 and you have another instance where Paul begins to list some spiritual uh, manifestations or gifts that happen in the body. And he, he, he is listing kind of in this middle of... Uh, of essentially a giant application to what he's just spent time on in the first 11 chapters. And right after he lists the, lists the gifts, then in verse 9 there, chapter 12, the next thing he says is he says, let your love be unfeigned or genuine. You know, the agape love, unfaked agape love. So everywhere we see the gifts described or defined, however you'd like to say that, uh, in the scripture, we always see that it's for others, it's others-based. Not to say you're not going to encourage yourself if you give someone a prophecy or something like that, or you have a word of wisdom. Not to say you won't benefit from it, but the motivation is never, I'm a prophet, look at me. I'm prophesying now, I'm crazy important, everybody has to pay attention to me, and if you even question what I say, you're not in God's will which is a very unfortunate, sometimes extreme place that, that people go uh, in giftings, in this kind of like, I have to do this, I have this need, this has to be said, and if this doesn't happen, or you don't buy into this, then you're of Satan, or some other belittling statement that, makes, that takes place. But there's never a place for that. It's always, if, I, if God gives me a word to share with you, I look at you and I say, I want the best for you. I love you, I care about you. In other places, Paul gives that commandment. He says, have brotherly affection for one another. Where we got our word Philadelphia, phileo. Have brotherly affection for one another. So the, uh, the, the core foundation and motivation 
and expression of God's gifts that he's given every one of us has to be love or else we can end up a little bit askew. We might still get the word out. Notice that Paul, we read it in second service last week, Paul there when he's speaking about the gifts of the Spirit and he's talking about love, he says, if I speak with the, the tongue of angels, if I have all knowledge and all revelation, he says, if I, he says, if I don't have love with that, it profits me nothing. It's interesting because he never says in that, he says it never profits you nothing. If, you know, have you ever wondered how you, you, you can listen to, like there's been pastors that I've listened to for years and really enjoyed their teachings. And then it comes out that they were stepping out on their wife or they were, you know, some sort of weird abuse. And you're just like, how did it, how was I encouraged? Because we're kind of trained in Christianity that like, if someone has a sinful life, they'll never bless anyone. It's just not true, is it? Not in practice. We see plenty of sinful people blessing people all the time because God has gifting and God's word is powerful. So we have to be, uh, it's not that there'll never be fruit. If you exercise your gift from love, there can still be a lot of fruit. But it will profit you nothing. There'll be no, there won't be a change in you. There won't be heavenly reward. There won't be the, the sanctified satisfaction of just being used by God. And in the end, typically, if your motivation, just like all these pastors and people caught in sin, there's destruction that comes from it. So we're not saying, oh, it doesn't matter. We're not saying anything of that. We're just saying that at the end of the day, that the, the, for God's fruit in every dynamic to be at work or for any, any part of it, every part of it to be blessed, it has to be from a heart of love. Or else you get really weird things. You get watchdog associations that, that constantly post everybody's sin. This pastor in this town did this. This person did this. This person does this. This person said this. People that lie in wait. I think a good example is a Calvary guy, Brian Broderson. People lie in wait for that guy to tweet something that might be just a little bit what they don't agree with or taken out of context. And then, boom, here comes a web page on it. And Brian Broderson loves Satan. And, you know, all this. You're like, what? I think he's just wrestling with this issue and trying to figure it out. Like, how does he suddenly love Satan? It's crazy how we love to take people, and specifically people with maybe more uh, report or fame, as it were, and we love to just to smash them, and we, and we use our discernment and all this to do that. It's crazy. We're not called to that. And I know that was a huge review, but I think it's just so important that whenever we're interacting, and we're going to talk about these gifts, whenever we're interacting with people and when we're uh, trying to help people, that we look at every single person and say, how can I help this person? Will my gift help this situation? If I have a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or a word of prophecy or a tongue or whatever it might be, is it going to help in this situation? Or is it going to be receivable in this situation? And, and to, do I love these people? Is that my motivation for sharing it? Because as soon as the motivation becomes like, I just got to do this, right? It says the spirit, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets, so we have to be careful with that, with this, this Holy Spirit power where I just have to do something. Just be careful with that. Weigh it out. Pray it through. And make sure we're interacting with each other in love. You can have the gift of administration and roll up and be an absolute jerk and administrate something, can't you? It's called the military. <laughs> That's, and it'll get results, right? I mean, it's amazing when, when you have a... A uh, you know 240 pound man screaming at you that you can do more push-ups. 
It's amazing how many push-ups you can do. You can get results, but that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to interact and to build up, and that's kind of what we'll look at today. So what spawned this in Acts chapter 19 and verse 1, it says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. And again, remember, this is week four that we've been going through this. So we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit four weeks ago. We talked about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and when that occurred historically with Jesus. We've talked about from Acts chapter 2 when, when the disciples as a whole, the, 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 uh, the men and the women that were up in the upper room uh, waiting on the Lord and they're, they're baptized with the Holy Spirit and tongues of fire come upon them. And they're above their heads, and there's this rushing wind, and it causes all these people from Jerusalem that are there for the Feast of Pentecost to come to this specific house. And they're like, what is that crazy wind? And they kind of go out on their porch, and they begin to preach. And because the Holy Spirit is, is baptized or is upon them, uh, they're able to just miraculously speak in all the different languages. Or was it they were speaking different languages, or was it that they were hearing in their language? Whatever it was, it was miraculous, and all these people get saved and, and this great thing occurs, and God begins the church there in Jerusalem. And we've talked about all that. So in this case, Paul asks them, they say, we don't know that they're believers, they're disciples, but they say, we don't know that there is a Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? There's probably more dialogue than just what Luke recorded for us. Uh, maybe not. Maybe he just said, well, guys, come and let me baptize you. But my guess would be that there's more dialogue involved. They get baptized in the name of Jesus uh, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls upon them as Paul lays hands on them. And there's this testimony and they begin to speak in tongues. And, the, and the, the, the Bible is not clear all the time. Were they speaking in just different human languages or was it this idea of the language of angels or an, a, a language that's unknown? We don't know. We just know that they began to speak in a language that was not their own and they begin to prophesy. Now, for our intents and purposes today, it's important to note that Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, and because of time, we're not going to do a whole, uh, a whole thing on tongues and prophecy or something like that, although they may deserve their own uh, uh, application and idea. But Paul clearly says in 1 Corinthians um, 14 that for public tongues to be used, it's a sign to the unbeliever. There's a whole nuance to that because he quotes Isaiah about an unbelieving Israel and what was going on there. So the, the, this, this tongue takes place, they're speaking out, and then there's this prophecy. And the idea of a prophecy, we have different examples in the New Testament. We have Agabus, who uh, I, I keep mentioning his name because it's just fun to say, number one. But number two, he's, it's just kind of like, it's kind of a wild cultural thing, I think. Because remember, Agabus grabs Paul's belt and takes it off him. That'd be kind of awkward at church, right? Somebody reaches down and like grabs your belt, slides it off. You'd be like, whoa, what's happening here? But he grabs Paul's belt. He pulls it off him. He wraps it around his, his, his own wrist. And he says, thus will happen to the man that wears this girdle. And Paul says, hey, I know it, man. Like the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city I go to that I'm on my way to bonds. 
And so there's confirmation through prophecy that this is going to happen to you, Paul. Paul says, I can agree with that because the Spirit's been witnessing that to me this entire way as I'm going to Jerusalem. So it wasn't just some random prophecy. It wasn't just some uh, weird illusion. It was an actual confirmation by the Holy Spirit through a human being to Paul. Now, Agabus also makes a, uh, a testimony or a prophecy where he says, hey, there's going to be a huge uh, famine in uh, the, the Judea area. And so what ends up happening is the collections start getting taken and they end up being the other Macedonia and other places end up being able to provide for the church in Jerusalem uh, when they become impoverished from this famine. So there's this, the, the idea of prophecy is not only just a future thing where this thing is going to happen, but it's, it's an appropriate word in an appropriate time. Agabus can prophesy and say, I love God's people. I love the church in Jerusalem. God's laid this on my heart. This thing is going to happen. Let's help them when it happens, right? Notice Agabus doesn't come out and say, if those people in Jerusalem would just rebuke the spirit of poverty, or if those people in Jerusalem would just, just speak out a word of prosperity, or if those people in Jerusalem would just call it a different way, then they would not be impoverished. No, he says this is going to happen, and it turns out to be this opportunity, which is weird in our, in our, um, in our world, in our social economic system. It's an opportunity to give what we have to people that are going to be in need. And this whole thing gets taken up with that. And in the, in the spirit of the tongues, uh, again, because I don't want to spend too much time on tongues today, but the, the tongues in public, uh, if there's, there needs to be an interpreter, 1 Corinthians 14 says. I encourage you to sit down and read it for yourself if you like. But if there's a tongue that's given in a public meeting or in a public setting, Paul expressly writes, he says, then there's some, there needs to be somebody there who can interpret it. And he says, if there's no one there who can say what it means, then the person who shared it is to be quiet. This isn't because we're jerks or we hate tongues or we're not interested in, in somehow uh, oppressing spiritual giftings, but because, but because there's, a, there's a need for order in God's house. And that's kind of what he's addressing there in Corinth as we begin to look at in our introduction. So what are the gifts of the Spirit? This is the, the kind of final thing we're going to do to, uh, on this what are they kind of in name, and how can we see them? How do they kind of work out in our lives? Obviously, this isn't going to be exhaustive in 25 minutes, but it's just an opportunity to look at some passages and to uh, hopefully understand how we can be involved in those things. So if you wouldn't mind, please uh, flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. The first thing we'll talk about is... I. And, and I'm kind of I'm not making the word up, uh, but this is not a, a word that's used here in the Bible. But I'm going to call these foundational gifts, and I'm going to call them foundational gifts because the the way that they're listed here and also in 1 Corinthians 12, they were gifts that were given by Christ upon His ascension. So we're not going to read. Uh, I feel bad doing this. We're not going to read all the context. We just don't have time. But essentially, when Christ ascended, Ephesians chapter four tells us that he gave gifts to men, to men and women. It's, it's to both people, okay? Remember, Philip had five or four or five, I can't remember the number, prophetess daughters. Remember in 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul is talking about head coverings to the Corinthians, he tells the women, when you pray and prophesy. So there is plenty of evidence, and we embrace the fact, and we're all about uh, the idea of men and women both being gifted and being used in God's kingdom. So if I say uh, men or something like that, uh, please don't take it to mean I, I believe that only men do that. 
But what happens in, in, in Ephesians 4 and in other places is that we're told that there's these gifts that God gave through Christ when he ascended. And these were gifts that originally, essentially began the church. Gifts that, now obviously, well, you just said that tongues was a major player in the, in the original church there in Jerusalem. And it was, but it was tongues that, gave, that were through basically prophesying and giving the gospel. So these are, they're, it's interesting enough, they're numbered as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, and we'll, we'll look at it in 1st Corinthians, and here they're just listed. But if you don't mind, we're going to uh, jump in, and we're going to jump in at verse 11, and it says that he gave, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, number one, in this idea of foundational gifts, it's noteworthy that the sentence structure here isn't that he gave, it's, it's, he gave these people to the church. Um, I don't know if that has to make a big difference, uh, but in this sense, in the beginning of the church, uh, he gave these people. Now, as a side note, there are a large number of people that absolutely love Jesus, and they are what we would call cessationists. And they're just people that say, hey, the gifts of the Spirit ended with the apostles, that essentially you had the, that first century church age, and then after that, these gifts are no longer valid. And they have different reasons for saying that. And I can't stress enough, there are people that personally I have wild respect for. Warren Wiersbe, great guy, loves the Lord Jesus. He's got a solid commentary, if you like to read commentaries. Absolute cessationist. You have to do some pretty wild gymnastics, and I think they're probably just using, being used by the Spirit in their giftings to say that there's no giftings, but they're great men of God. They just have a different opinion. John Walvrood, incredible mind, president of the Dallas Seminary for like 30 years, author, speaker, just loves the Lord Jesus, loves God's people, devoted his life to making sure God's people are trained and, and, and blessed. Absolute cessationists. If you read here in this particular area and, and what they have to say about it, they'll say the reason that it says that God gave these people is because he was giving those people for that time and then those giftings ended with those people. The problem with that is that if you take that stance, uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't know Walrude's rebuttal, but if you take that stance, ultimately that's not the case with Romans and with Ephesians and other places where the gifts are mentioned. In those places, the gifts and the manifestations of the Spirit are mentioned on a continual basis, that he's giving these gifts and that this is happening and this is going over. So we can love and respect our brethren that disagree with us. In my personal experience in dialogue, typically people that take a cessationist point of view have had some sort of weird experience with somebody that they felt was invalid. And because of that weird experience, they've said, all of this has to just be bunk. I can't, I can't buy into this. Or they've seen chaos or something like that uh, exercised in a meeting, and they just go, no, there's no way that this is of God, and kind of uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater, as, as the saying goes. So just don't be surprised if you're listening or reading and someone goes, oh, these are for pastime. I would respectfully and lovingly uh, disagree with that. But he says here that these people were given, and the, the people that he says were given, once again, he says that they are uh, apostles. Now remember, there's the 12. You have the 12 apostles. And it means to be commissioned or sent out with authority. But it's also, there's about four or five other places in the New Testament that multiple apostles are mentioned. Acts 14, 14. The apostles, Paul and Barnabas. 
Other places, people we've never even heard of, and they're only mentioned once or twice in the entire scripture, are referred to as apostles. So these were people that were commissioned by God to go do something. So in apostolic ministry, this first gifting that's given by Christ through the Holy Spirit is a gifting that's still very much alive in today. People that, an apostle is just someone who's sent somewhere. We might label that person a missionary or an itinerant preacher or a church planter or something like that. Somebody who's commissioned by God with authority, as it were, to go and to plant a church in, in the name of Christ and to be a blessing to the community and all that that means. So probably none of us have a problem with that. I don't think there's any of us going, no, there's no way that that could be. No, God's done that in people's lives. Why would that be a primary or foundational gift? Because planting a church or sharing revelation or something like that, it's the thing that facilitates the work of the ministry, right? It's the place that facilitates where people gather together, whether it's a living room or a mega church. It doesn't matter. Where people gather together and there's opportunity to share and and to to bless in, in, in the different venues, whether it's before the public meeting or after the public meeting, or if you're in a church that that uh, uh, views the the public prophecies in that way in a in a in a con- in a healthy way, then there's that. Whatever the the dynamic is, you need someone to come along and say, hey, I'm going to try to get people together and preach the gospel to try to help people to meet together where all these gifts can be interacted. It's, and we'll get to there. First Corinthians calls them the greater gifts. Not, I don't think it's greater in the sense that it means, literally means mega, where we get our word gigantic. You know, It's, it's not necessarily even in a... Um, this person is better than this person because remember you have an entire uh, uh, section in 1 Corinthians 12 where the whole point is every single part of the body contributes. And just because an, an eye isn't an ear, it can't say, well, I'm not part of the body. I'm not important. Or a hand can't say to a foot or, you know, I don't remember all the comparisons. But the, the whole idea that one person is better is not the idea at all. But these are just gifts that are exercised in the beginning that facilitate and make room for all the other gifts in a specific goal, and that is to build up the church, right? Because we'll get to that. So he says, uh, uh, back to verse 11, so you have apostles and you have the prophets. And and these these people are given, especially in, remember the, the fancy word, the intertestamental time. This time where Jews are getting saved, the old covenant is going away, the temple is still active until 70 AD, and and Jews and Greeks, they're getting saved, but specifically in the beginning, Jews are learning what Christianity is. They didn't get handed a Bible, right? They didn't get handed pamphlets. Nobody had written the daily bread. None of that existed. And so there were people that were raised up by God that prophesied and essentially gave God's heart to God's people. And then later, what we have today are the letters that were written by uh, the, the, the people of old that were collected over centuries, 5,000 different scraps of each of these letters. When I say collected over centuries, I mean the scraps. And then, which gives us basically what we have today. And that's another teaching about the, how the fact that the Bible is very much legitimate and very much trustworthy uh, in, in the translations that we have today. But that being said, so God raised up people that would share these utterances and, and from the Old Testament and different things like that, just as Paul is constantly referring to the Old Testament. 
There's also the idea of the prophetic word. It's just a, it's, it's an appropriate word. In, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, the sword of the Spirit, right? You guys familiar with that? You have kind of the armor of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, there's something called the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Well, the interesting thing is, uh, like, for example, in John 1, where it talks about in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, if you're familiar with that, a reference to Jesus, that, the Greek word for word there is logos, or like the, the, the expression of a thought, the communication of a thought. So Jesus is everything that the Father ever wanted to communicate. And that is uh, re, um, uh, reinforced for us in Hebrews uh, chapter 1, uh, the, the idea that everything God wanted to say was expressed to us when we look at Christ. But in Ephesians chapter 6, where he begins to talk about the sword of the Spirit, uh, the Word of God, it's not logos, it's not just the expression of a thought, it's actually rhema. It's a different word. There's rhema Bible school and there's rhema churches. You might, might be familiar with that Greek word. But the word rhema is not just the expression of a thought, it's, it's the right word at the right time. It's the idea of a prophetic word, the idea of uh, essentially ministering to someone the right thing to say. You might call it exercising wisdom or you know, whatever you might want to do, but it's a supernatural communication of what God is saying. It'll never disagree with the logos, or the logos, however you want to pronounce that, but it's that supernatural thing. So prophets are people that were raised up and are raised up, um, the gift of prophecy by God to communicate his, his word to people. So he says there, the evangelists, well, that's also a foundational gift, right? Because if you're going to see people come to this gathering that you're wanting to bless and teach and do these things, there have to be people that are going to go out and say this. Now, Paul writes to Timothy at one point, and he tells him, do the work of an evangelist. So we want to be careful here. An evangelist isn't someone like, oh, I'm not an evangelist, so I don't ever share the gospel with anybody. That's not a valid argument. I'm not, there's no pressure. I'm not mad. There's no condemnation or something like that. But evangelists, it's not somebody who, this, these are the people that talk to people about Jesus, and the rest of us just don't. The idea behind an evangelist, I, I've known maybe one, maybe two people that, uh, in my spiritual ignorance, would call an evangelist. There was a dude that used to go to this church, and his name is Dave Hurd. He's with the Lord now. I was there uh, when he died a few years back. But that dude could preach the gospel to anyone at any time, in any place, and they would get saved. It was so bizarre. It was supernatural. I mean, it's literally the only way to describe it because so many people came to our church, so many people uh, you know, that, 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 uh, that gave their life to Christ, so many people. He just had a gifting for it. If you look at a guy like Billy Graham, you know, a guy who just, the guy stands up on stage and thousands of people get saved. He's got a gifting for it. Does that mean that nobody else will ever pray with him? No, of course not. But there are just certain people that have the gifting. The great thing about Dave Hurd, he was so weird. <laughs> he was. And I don't think he'd mind me saying, he was, he'd tell you that himself. He was like so cryptic and weird sometimes. And you're like, I don't, I don't know what to say to that. But he would interact with people and listen to people and be able to, to speak into their lives and their hearts, where I don't know how many people got saved through that guy's life ministry, but I, I bet quite a few. 
He was a gifted evangelist, somebody who gave out the gospel, and there was this supernatural, I don't know, I don't know how that works, but it was amazing to watch. So he's going to go on there in verse 11. So you have the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. Now, the reason that shepherds and teachers is phrased here is there's, there's only one article. Every other article, meaning the apostles or the prophets or the evangelists, there's no article behind teachers. So in the Greek, it's the shepherds and teachers. So that evidently, this is a, uh, a gifting that gets combined a lot of times. I don't think it has to be every time. There's probably plenty of Bible teachers out there that aren't shepherds and Plenty of shepherds out there that aren't Bible teachers in, the, in a public sense, if you know what I mean. But the idea that part of the, these foundational gifts is people that look out and care about other people. You know, my, my favorite verse about shepherding, the, absolute, the one I absolutely love, is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, we're not here to lord over your faith. We're here to be helpers of your joy. And I think a true shepherd, when I think of what is a true shepherd, someone who truly looks after the sheep, yeah, shepherds have to sometimes say some hard things if it's called for, but it's to be helpers of joy. That's our whole job. That's any, in any kind of ministry, in any kind of supervisory position or position of, of uh, looking after others, may it always be that we're never here to lord over people's faith. We're never here to say, you can watch this and you can't watch that. You can listen to this, but you can't listen to that. Or We're not here to do that. You know what you should and shouldn't watch because the Holy Spirit will tell you that if you're a Christian. But what we all are here to do is to be helpers of faith. And so sometimes we might come along and say, you know, people in the past, I've I've talked to people and they say, oh man, I have these crazy nightmares and this and that and that. And you'll be asking like, well, what do you you like to, has something happened to you in the past? No, not really. Like, well, what do you like to watch? What do you listen to? Oh, well, I always fall asleep to like, you know, the horror movie show. And you're like, well, this, I don't think this is a word of wisdom or supernatural knowledge, but maybe you shouldn't watch that. Not because I'm angry, because I want to help your joy. I know, like, for example, me personally, I, uh, when I, before I got saved and into some of the months I got saved, I, I listened to uh, a lot of pretty negative music. And it was like a revelation one day when somebody, it was, it was a blessing to me because somebody came along and said, hey, I was talking to them, like, hey, I think maybe I shouldn't listen to this music anymore. It was, it was a momentous time. I remember this because it was almost 30 years ago. And the guy didn't say, you better get rid of those. You better knock that off. He just said, well, at the end of the day, what do you think it promotes in your heart? And what do you think you should do? And I was like, I don't think it, I think it promotes kind of anger and rebellion. And he goes, well, is that what you want in your heart? I said, no. And he goes, well, you should do what you think you should do then. And I ended up getting, getting rid of the music. And it was, it was cool because it was my decision. It wasn't something my pastor made me do. He didn't lord over my faith. But he helped me to find a, a, a better joy, a more superior joy in my life. So there, there's pastors and teachers, or, uh, shepherds and teachers. And it's a Bible teacher, somebody who can come along and teach and communicate and say, this is how things work. And this is, and this is important. I'm actually going, kind of been working on this uh, a uh, little devotional thing out of the Proverbs. That sounds way more important than it is. It's just some silly little thing I'm working on. But one of the things that's so weird about our society, and, and oftentimes in Christendom, is we, we are all about this kind of mysterious, and I'm, I'm not m- mocking this, so, so please don't take my adjectives as belittling it, but kind of this mysterious Holy Spirit leading where 
I'm walking along, and all of a sudden, you know, a dove flies over, and instead of poo, it drops a note to me, and now I know exactly what I should do. Or, like, I, I walk outside, and I see a bush rustle, and that is like, oh, it's, it's the Lord. And that's fine. If that kind of stuff happens, that's great. But there is so much literature in the scripture about wisdom. Wisdom. Having understanding about things. Not that we can never have leisure time, you know, everyone just, but the idea where over and over again in the Proverbs that if you have wisdom, it's more valuable than gold or silver. If you have wisdom, and that is the crazy thing about wisdom, it actually takes effort. It's really cool when the Holy Spirit just speaks to us and just says, This is what I want. And you're like, Yes, now I can go do that or I can reject it. But it's so great when that happens. But I don't know about you. I think there's very few of us. We're just like, every time we jump in the car, the Holy Spirit says, push the gas pedal. Drive to Subway. Only get the six inch. Right? You know, it's, there's no, I don't think that, that that really happens. Instead, what happens is we go, I should stop at this stop sign. Because experience dictates to me, if I don't, there's a good chance bad things will ensue. I don't have to have the Holy Spirit to tell me that. I don't have to go to the subway and go, I should probably get the low-carb pita bread. The Spirit doesn't have to save that to me. Do you see what I'm saying? We're not mocking hearing from the Holy Spirit. We embrace that. But there's something to be said, and in, in relationship especially. People respond to things in certain ways, don't they? They just do. That's what's so great about like statistics and, and polls and stuff like that. You can actually observe, you can know for like 98% certainty what someone will do if you address them in a certain way, can't you? You don't need the Holy Spirit for that. There is something so valuable in wisdom and observing the situation and just saying, you know what, if I lord over this person's faith, bad things will happen. So when there's pastors and teachers, every one of us can develop a skill to be able to communicate God's word to each other in, a, in a, at least, a, at the very least, a decently effective way, can't we? We don't have to have this like momentous thing where we float up to another person by the power of the Spirit and we, like, a, 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 like a wreath of light comes behind us and then we say, this is the word. If that, if that did, that'd be great. But we can also just exercise wisdom and know, like, if I lower this person's faith, I might accomplish what I want, but they'll end up shipwrecked in either depression or anger because that's where lording over faith goes. Those are the two endings to that leadership or teaching scenario. So there's, there's a, a gifting to be had. There's a way to, to go about these things. These are foundational gifts in what God is calling us to be a part of. But then he goes on to say this, he says there in, in verse uh, 12, he says it's to do this, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain. And he's going to go on to a big thing. And, and fortunately, we're starting to run out of time here. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to briefly look at a couple other giftings. But the end goal of these foundational gifts is to equip people for the work of the ministry. This is an important concept. Who is being equipped? 
us. We're being equipped. You know, my job is to work myself out of a job. My job is to equip you guys to do what God wants you to do. And so I try to do that by talking about the Bible, meeting with people who might want to meet about it, but to say, here's how God wants to empower you. Here's how the Holy Spirit's working in your life. Here's how you can say no to yourself and yes to God. Here's how you can begin to walk. That's my job. And not to say I don't have other jobs like talking to other people on the street about the gospel or helping people move or whatever. I'm not negating those. I'm just saying that primarily uh, for my calling, that's what I do. And then you have your calling, whatever that might be. Because whatever you do, whether as a profession or in life, you have calling and you have giftings. He's gifted every one of us, 1 Corinthians 12 says. Every last one of us have giftings and they're to be used for the common good. There's so much more, and I wish we had time for it, but if we, we go through 1 Corinthians 12, he, he says, every one, of us has, every one of us has gifts of faith. In other words, God's gifted you with the faith, the trust, to do what he's called you to do. He says that we have gifts of grace or charismatic gifts. That's, we literally pull the word right out of the Greek, charismatic gifts, gifts of grace. He, God has given you favor to specifically do something, and those can manifest in natural talents. They can manifest in supernatural talents. And then, the, and then also that God has placed every single person in the body and giving them the gifts that he wanted. He was like, James is a loudmouth. I'll give him an ability to read so he can talk about the Bible. He can use that loud mouth of his. Just go on and on and on, right? Maybe you don't have a loud mouth. Maybe you're just like kind of keep to yourself and you're like, that's definitely not for me. I would never do that. But you're out having either private conversations or you're just helping people. Maybe you're that, that mule that just keeps on going, never stops, always helps, right? There's just that anybody can call at any time and you're there. That's an incredible gifting. You know, you're that 70-year-old, 75, 80-year-old person just busting a move, helping people. You got time because you're retired. That's an incredible gifting. But it's really clear that having gifts, man, I almost, it would desync the two services. I almost want to do a, another one. I get, I'm going to South Dakota, but when I get back. But we're to be using those gifts for each other. He sums it up. In this way, in, in verse 16, well, in verse 15, he says, Rather speaking the truth in love, again, in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. In other words, we're, to, we're supposed to grow up into everything that God has for us and including the new man in Christ, walking in the Spirit, that, that whole aspect. He says that, that, uh, that speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, the, the burden of my brother's well-being is upon my shoulders to some extent because God has given you gifts to be used in love to make sure that you're helping your brother and sister in Christ to be more like Christ in love and in kindness and generosity. And that manifests itself all over the place. Words of wisdom, 
which is like a supernatural wisdom that God gives a person in a moment to share. I've been in meetings before where somebody just pipes up and shares this amazing thing, and you're like, everybody at the same time, just like, that. That is what we should do. Words of knowledge. God gives you a supernatural word of knowledge that that you just somehow know a, a piece of information, not to gossip with or call the guardian with, but to care and to love, not to post on the website, but to go with someone and come alongside them and say, and just ask them, hey, are you, are you struggling with addiction? I think the Lord wants, maybe I could help you. And then they have the opportunity. You're not lording over your faith. You're just helping their joy. All these different ways that these things can come out. Or Paul talks about worshiping in tongues and having that, that, that spirit language. Paul says, my mind isn't, isn't built up, but my spirit is. And I just worship the Lord. And he says, and I, I prophesy, and I want to use my mouth and my intellect. Those are great gifts. So you have giftings. Lastly, this. You don't have to sweat how, what they are. You don't have to go out of here with anxiety, like, what's my gifting? What do I do? There's many different ways that people use, whether it's like gifting tests or you know, whatever. But just know this. If you're seeking the Lord, if you seek the Lord, just put it this way. If, keep on asking and you'll receive. Keep on knocking, it'll be open to you. You keep asking, Lord, what do you want me to do in your body? And then my local expression of that in this church, what do you want me to do in my community? What, what do you want me to do? And it will supernaturally work out. The Proverbs, I think it's 16, 18 or 18, 16. It's been a long time. But it says, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. Your gift will work itself out. And if you're curious about it, you can ask other people that, you're, that you trust, that know the Lord. Hey, what giftings do you think I have? That doesn't have to be a pompous question. It doesn't have to be like, I need to pat myself on the back because you don't give you giftings. If you have a gifting, it's from God. Right? We didn't earn anything. We're just stewards of what we've been given. So you can go to someone and say, what do you think my gifting is? And be like, I don't know, man. You're just done. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> we should really pray about that. Have you fasted lately? No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. God loves you. He's got great things for you. And we'll pray and adjourn. Father, thank you for your loving kindness. And thank you for just taking time to give gifts. Lord, thank you, Lord Jesus, that upon your resurrection and ascension, it was a priority to you to give gifts to your church, to build your people up and to see them uh, be brought back into the image of which we were really originally designed to walk in. You're very kind to us. Lord, help us to be faithful with what you've given us. Please speak to our heart when we are uh, deviating from what you have for us. I pray that our hearts, our motivation would be comforted but convicted by your Holy Spirit that we might walk in love towards one another and bless one another. Lord, I pray for your people as we go forward this week. Lord, would your blessing be upon us and your presence, and would you reveal to us uh, what giftings we might have uh, if we're wondering, and reveal to us where we should be using them, where we want to build your church up. So thank you for your loving kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.